Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Coachpad has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Um, today we have uh, Coach Zach Fears. He's the director of sports performance, uh, the new director of sports performance, I should rephrase that, at, at Missouri Western State University. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing good, doing well. Just uh, getting through the first like full week here. So it's been absolutely insanity. I, I made it into my, I'm living in a dorm room right now, you know, at my first couple of weeks. We got a house already, finishing up paperwork. I can't take it until mid-May. So I'm I'm kind of bachelor in it here without the wife and kids. So things are a little bit crazy. You know, I made it back into my, my dorm room at nine last night, which was pretty good. Um, this week I've been getting in about six o'clock. I don't have anything too crazy early. I think I got to maybe 5.30 one day, but 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, I got in starting Sunday about 9.30 and it just kept getting later, like 11, 12. Night before I finally got, it was two in the morning, but I'm trying to get everything set up all at once. You know, the difference here between like when I was at North Texas, you know, I could defer nutrition and I can defer all that over. Um, I don't get that luxury here. You know, I, I've got to do all that and I know that. And I would say it's something I have enough knowledge to be dangerous in. I'm not going to be, you know, we had this amazing nutritionist down in North Texas, Kayla, you know, she took care of business, but uh, you know, I can steal a lot of the stuff she says and, and, you know, really comes down to getting the basics taught. So I just, I'm, you know, I did a big nutrition seminar last night and I was up till two in the morning before that. And I'm like, all right, I can sleep until eight and I'm up at five 30, you know, thinking about stuff. So I'm just like, all right, I'm going to the office and working. And so you get there and then it's the teaching, like, I have to reteach and make sure everything is done correctly. Um, and then you have to rechange the expectations and all that stuff. So it's definitely been busy this first week. I'm easily closing in about a hundred hours counting Sunday so far. So, okay. but then again, we're setting a good foundation, so it'll make things easier in the future. But I guess that's probably an over explanation of how I'm doing. You're good. Now that speaking of that, cause you've been at North Texas, you've been at a couple other places over the past, um, 
almost what two decades now. So how did you end up as the director of sports performance there at uh, Missouri Western State? Yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm going to go back and, you know, one of the things to talk about is just the, I guess, your lineage and what you go, where you learn and all that type of stuff. So what happened was the head football coach here and I worked together at Southeastern Oklahoma State. And I thought we had something pretty special going on and we really complement each other. We're, we're very, I, I, like, I, I like to say yin and yang. He's very, very controlled, like an insane knowledge. Like this guy knows football. And it's kind of funny because I'm pretty confident. Like if you ask the guy to like, you know, change a tire, he might be like, oh, I don't know about that. But when it comes to football, I mean, this dude knows everything. And so you got to appreciate when someone just knows their craft like crazy. And I'm probably kind of, I like to think I'm the same way with strength conditioning. You know, I try to make sure I'm pretty well versed in as anything I can be. And I get really obsessed with that stuff. But so we were at, uh, we were together at Southeast Oklahoma State. Uh, when I took the job at North Texas. So we were together almost four years there. Went down to North Texas. Uh, you know, no, North Texas is only about an hour, hour and 15 minutes away from Durant. So it's really not all that bad. And I thought, man, this is an easy move. Um, one thing for me is always been about resources. And it's about not necessarily financial for me, but how I can take care of my athletes. Mm -hmm. So when we go through, I really like to see what we have to take care of the athletes. And to probably much to my chagrin, my boss, when I left Southeastern Oklahoma State, he said, man, you're going you're gonna to miss being a director. Like, I know how you run things. You're going to miss it. And I said, man, you know what? I'm ready for, to not have to do the responsibilities of being a director for a while. And lo and behold, about six months in, it hit me like a bat. Like, it just hit me. I'm like, man, I really miss being a director. I miss getting to make some of those difficult decisions because usually I feel like I'm pretty good at it. And so this kind of popped open and, you know, I'll never forget Fenwick coach. I should call him Tyler Fenwick or coach Fenwick or something. I, like I told you, I'm just kind of, I was just calling Fenwick, I guess. And again, the whole Tyler thing seems wrong too, but he calls me in January and we just kind of talk about some stuff. And it happened to be about like some protein or something. He was talking to me and just asking me my opinion on something. And I kind of just got that feeling like, man, he's going to ask me like about this and you know, it keeps coming along and, and he, he approaches me about it. And finally it comes out and he's like, basically we want to bring you up here and interview you at least see how you're interested. And the craziest part. So I'm all like, first of all, I love working with the staff. His, his offensive defense coordinator is saying amazing people. Okay. Amazing coaches. These guys understand you know, how to take care of their athletes. That's always my number one. Like that's one thing I've always talked about is we have to take care of our athletes. You know, we're not here to, we're not here for the athletes to serve us. Like that's not just how it works. Like, yeah, we write their program and we tell them what to do essentially. But like at the end of the day, we're here to take care of them. We're trying to make things better than what they are. And so when he approached me about it, brought me up here, I'm like, okay, I really liked working with this guy. I know that I'm getting an opportunity. It's really good facilities overall. And then I got to meet the athletic director and that was like, a, okay, I want to be here. Like, I want to work for this guy and I want to work with this guy. And it was just a no brainer. And then he told me, oh, and by the way, we're going to give you three full-time assistants. It's part-time help. And I'm like, at a D2. He's like, yep. I'm like, I'm in. Like, I'm in. Let's roll. And the biggest sign was we're coming up here. 
And Andy Carter's the athletic director. He got me a hotel room. You know, I didn't even think much of it. And then I realized a couple hours away, I'm like, man, I need to see what kind of hotel room they got because we're coming up here. I had my wife and kids uh, because, unfortunately, my grandma passed away and we were heading up to Iowa for the funeral. And it just kind of happened to be perfect timing in a bad way and a good way, obviously. Um, so I just stopped and I kind of talked to him on the way up here. He got me a hotel room and I realized, like, I didn't check what it was. So I call in. I'm like, hey, it's a She's like, it's a king. I'm like, oh, does it have a bed for my boys to jump on and sleep? And she's like, or a couch or anything like that. And she's like, no, it's just a king bed. There's nothing else in the room. And I'm like, well, can you switch me over? And she's like, no, we don't have anything else. And I sat there and I'm like, man, what do, I don't know what to do. And my wife just turns to me and she's like, uh, call my parents. They're like two hours away. And we've never been able to do that, right? So called her parents. They came never grabbed the kids, brought them back up, no problem. And I'm over here thinking, We've never had that. We got an almost 11-year-old boy, a seven-year-old boy, and a three-year-old girl. And that was the, you know, and I'm going to give away my, I guess, my religious beliefs here. But that was my sign, like, God's pushing me here in so many directions. And that's the one thing we've never had, you know. So we're pushing in that direction. I've got an athletic director telling me everything I want to hear uh, and backing it up to other coaches already. And I've got Coach Fenwick talking to me. I've got all these other people telling me about where they're at. And then... Now I'm close to home too. So I'm two hours away from home. I'm like, I don't know that I could get any better with what he's offering. And then I keep hearing about how good these athletes are and how bought in they are to what they're trying to do. And first week's been amazing. So will we have our problems? Absolutely. But, you know, go down the line as I take way too much time explaining that one. Um, you know, North Texas was, you know, that the director there was kind of a legendary guy, just known to absolutely hold the standard and zach womack was there when i got there and still to this day I, I might have more respect for him than almost any person i've ever worked for an amazing guy and so i went to work for him in north texas and then unfortunately he was let go of football uh ended up working with another amazing staff for a couple months you know coach brian keggins and you know his staff were amazing to work with they came in and you know they let me stay and keep working with football and that was something that was great there um Additionally, I work with soccer and softball, amazing coaches there too, amazing coaches. Um, but when this director position came open, like I was hungry to be a director again. And then, you know, Southeastern presented a really interesting opportunity to be assistant athletic director and get a little bit different side of things. Um, in addition, I got to build a brand new room. I'm not saying that didn't tempt me, obviously. Uh, and that was one of those where, like, I got a different side of the coin. I got to build a room and that's still known as one of the best in D2. And now my goal is to create a better room here than I had down there. So. Um, if hopefully my boss is lifts, listening and, and saying, oh, man, now we're now we've got to do it. Uh, prior to that, I was at Lincoln University as a head. That was my first head position. Um, took that. And I'll tell you what, like. That, that's a difficult place to work. Like, it's just tough because there's a lot of turnover everywhere, coaches, players and everything. But I still learn so much about players there. And that's one of those you don't understand something to you get in that situation, you know, Lincoln's an HBCU in the middle of Missouri, which is just a weird spot for HBC, you know, HBCU. And, uh, but it gave me such a different look on culture. And that was just honestly something that I wish I had earlier in my career to understand what people go through. Uh, and that also let me kind of use my past and where, how I grew up, you know, I grew up on, you know, I remember the first few years of my life, they, they weren't the easiest, you know, I remember we had this little farm and my dad, I don't, I barely saw my dad. Like he worked 
freaking fingers to the bone. You know, he worked an hour away, worked 10 hour work days, and he'd work on the farm till 10 or 11 at night. And then he'd begin up at three to drive back to work and he'd do that whole thing. And then he'd work on the weekends. And, you know, I watched my dad and I think it's probably one of the reasons that I have such a like obsession of working and doing all that stuff. You just see that, but, but then getting to, you know, part of that in Missouri Southern got a, a head assistant position there. Really enjoyed working with Troy Jorgensen. Troy's actually the guy that he now sells Samson, the uh, equipment. Enjoyed working with him. He's actually the guy that did the room for Southeastern. So got a, you know, got a good opportunity to use him again. We built a room at Missouri Southern together and then built, you know, another one with me as a director at Southeastern. Abilene Christian prior to that, got it, spent a little over a year there. Um, that's basically assistant. That's kind of, that's a tough place, you know, like they're they're built up a lot more now, but it was just there's a lot of growing there and kind of learning who I was as a coach. And, you know, it was always that, that was a tough place to work too, long ways from home, not a lot of pay, trying to figure out how to live with a small, small salary and a wife. And at that point I had a one-year-old. Prior to that, I did two years as a GA at Winona State. Uh, honestly, I think I had the easiest GA in the world. That place was not hard. I think it may have set me up to have a little struggle when I went to Abilene Christian just because of Abilene Christian was a grind. I got it was a long, long days, lots of teams. Uh, worked with NC State football prior to that and then ran my own facility for a year um, through Travis Sterling of Sterling Physical Therapy. He's actually so ironic is he moved down to basically like the Frisco Denton area um, almost the same time we did. And his wife's actually a librarian at UNT and that was from Iowa. So it's just like a weird connection there. But and then, of course, I'm going to tell you my my true lineage comes from Central College, you know, something I'm really proud of, something I did a lot of reconnecting over the last few you know, weeks and months with. And actually, one of my assistants who sits right there, normally he's not here because we do the podcast, but. He came from Central College too, so it's it's nice to have. I know what they know, you know. I I've been through it. I've gone through the curriculum and everything. So that's my, you know, that's a long explanation of my lineage and how I kind of got to where I am. Uh, but it's one of those things. Like I try to take everything I can from every place. So hopefully, that gives you a little bit of how I got here and who I am. Well, I mean, you've mentioned some things there, and like I said you've jumped around a little bit, but you've helped build quite a few programs, either as an assistant and direct, like just in the various roles. What has it been like? Cause you mentioned a little bit, like, I mean, you've pretty much had a hundred hour week this first week. And like, when we first talked, like you were in the process of, you haven't officially announced you've taken this job. It was in the process. And we'd kind of, we, I knew you were going through some change. I'll phrase it that way. Um, but what, what is it like as a strength coach? Like what is like the first, like two or three things that you have to handle when you get there, like, what does that process look like in terms of strength and conditioning and getting set up and okay, they need a new guy for, and, and there's a variety of reasons why places need new guys. Some guys leave, so the job's open or some guys get fired. Um, some guys just get out of the profession altogether and go to sell strength equipment or just go into business. Um, what, what does that kind of look like for you? Yeah. So I'm always, you know, I, I try to always make sure I, I really set the tone. That's the one thing. And that's such a, I, that's kind of like a cliche when I say that, because so we'll set the tone as a strength coach, you know, but um, the very first thing is getting the coaches on board, like coming in, explaining how it's going to be, you know, like the very first thing I did 
send them an email. This is my contact. We need to get in touch. All of us kind of go over that stuff and then clear up a few things. Number one, uh, do not call me a strength trainer. Do not call me an athletic trainer. I am a strength coach or sports performance coach. Though she got one of those two. Don't say the other thing because you're going to start confusing people. If you say athletic training or athletic anything or strength trainer, you start to mess with the athletes because they know what you're saying. So let's get that verbiage right. Um, the other thing I, I honestly, I shot this out and it's something that I'm pretty, uh, pretty particular about is stop saying go to weights. Stop. No, I call it practice in the weight room. And I know that's kind of like, okay, well, what's the difference? We're trying to get better in the weight room. My goal, don't get me wrong, like if we accomplish getting really, really strong in here, that's great. But my goal is to make better football players or better softball players or better athletes in general. Not to come in here and think, oh, we're just going to get strong. And No, we're trying to get better at our sport. This is a means to an end. And that's something I want to clear up and make very known to the athletes and the coaches, I should put it there. The second thing is you got to get visible to the athletes. Get out there see what they're doing. You know, one thing that's always helped me is, you know, I've, I've been into weightlifting for a long time. I was pretty successful at it. And so people get on my YouTube or excuse me, get on my YouTube. I'm dating myself there. No one does YouTube pages, right? That's not what I mean. Do, but not like for uh, putting your social media stuff out there. It's not YouTube anymore. Uh, my Instagram account or whatever. And, you know, I've got some good lifts on there. I know what I'm doing. And that, that helps buy in right away. Um, the other thing is, I've got a cool name, of course. Coach Fears is a great strength coach. And I was getting better than that. Um, but, you know, I try to look the part. You know, I try to not look, you know, I'm in pretty good shape. I can go run with them. I can go do conditioning still. I'm 35, but I can still run with them. Um, I'm fully sleeved. And, you know, it sounds so stupid, but people do buy into the whole, you look like a strength coach thing. That was one of the first things that I got told about 20 times. Well, you look like a strength coach. <laughs> Cool. That doesn't mean I know Jack, but I got a big beard, a bald head, you know, sleeves. And I, I at least look, you know, like I'm still in somewhat shape. Like I haven't lost that yet, but I think it's just get out there and let people know what you're about. Most importantly, let them know you're here for them. You know, I say that all the time. Every, I met with every single team in my first week and I'm not even going to work with a lot of them. You know, I, my goal is to actually be at least a, a couple sessions every semester with them. But I want them to know who I am, that I'm here to take care of them, whether I'm directing that team or not. If they have any concerns, anything like that, that they can come to me. You know, I tell my girls all the time, like, there's nothing I haven't heard. Like, if anything is, you know, especially my female athletes, like, if anything makes you feel unsafe, uncomfortable, I need you to come talk to me right away. We will get that changed because this room is meant for growth. This room is meant for progress, development. What it's not is for belittling. It's not for degrading. It's not for putting down anyone. The goal with all this is to create an environment where people want to be here. And that's the first thing that I had to do. And the first week with football, they came in and we just absolutely blew up the environment where it was. Let them know what it was. Let them know how it was going to go, the exact expectations. And when they don't uphold the expectations, you know, we make sure we, we uh, reinforce that. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. A reminder works pretty well. You know, if it gets too crazy, up-downs work real well. Uh, I try not to be a big corporal punishment guy, but at the end of the day, like, lines are lines. We've got to be careful with all that stuff. If, if, you, if you stop, you know, if you stop paying attention to those little things, you're, you're going to end up getting hurt in football especially. But 
I do think you got to realize different teams have a little bit different culture, but you've got to be disciplined. And at the same time, like I know how to work with baseball is a little, I should, let me rephrase that. Baseball is a heck of a lot different than football. Mm-hmm. Knowing with those guys, you got to have a little bit more fun with them. Basketball's got to have a little bit of, you know, this and women's basketball needs a little bit of that and understanding what makes those teams. So you sit there, you know, you already said you're going to ask for a, you're going to ask for like a, re, you know, a reading or a book list. And, you know, this is the one that I would first off recommend is Brett Bartholomew, um, conscious coaching. It, I think that's one of the greatest things ever is how many people are like, man, that's a really good book. I was like, and it was written by a strength coach. <laughs> Finally, we made it famous for not being strength conditioning <laughs> coaches, but it's a great book. So again, setting the standard, understanding who I am, what I'm trying to do here. That's really what it is. And that has to be both sides. You got to have coaches, you know, letting the players know what's going on, that it's a good thing. And then you got to have players telling the coaches that it's a good thing. And then obviously you got all your administration. You got to get to know everyone. You got to meet with the trainers. You got to do all that stuff. And I still haven't got all of that done yet because in season it gets crazy with schedules. But I've met all the coaches, I believe. Hope I, if I missed one, uh, we'll just play this back like a week and I'll make sure that, no. <laughs> but, and then I, I think I've missed one or two trainers so far, but it's one of those things that as long as my guys, you know, are, are working well, that's one thing. But I do need to make sure I get over there. There's just a handful I don't think I've met yet in person and got to talk to heavily. But, uh, yeah, that's the that's a big thing. There's probably like twelve things I just said in there. So you're good. No, I get it. Like I said, it, it, I mean, as you kind of said, it's a lot when you're trying to take over a program. There's things you want to implement, but then you got to meet all those different sports coaches. Kind of we talked. You got had lacrosse before, so that's a whole new other aspect to and a coach. You like there's just another one that's on your list. And luckily, there's some familiarity there with football coaches, and you know them, and uh, makes implementing at least that part probably a little easier than it would have been not knowing the coach. Um, but like, I mean, speaking of that, like, I mean, obviously knowing coach Fenwick, but, and bringing in your kind of style and how have you kind of evolved as a strength coach over the past 15 or so years? Yeah, I think you, uh, you know, I, I'll never forget the, the central college way. It was kind of like in a box and I don't get me wrong. I love central college, but it, you do it this way. Cause it works. You know, and so when I first started, it was like, this is the gold standard. This is how you do it. And so when we were there, it's like, this is how we're doing it. I think you're kind of locked in. And uh, I don't want to use the term brainwash because I think that's wrong. But like we were all bought in that that is how you do it. That's the exact right way. And so when you start to realize like, okay, there's a lot of different ways. What works best for me? What works best for the teams? You know, what works best for interacting with individuals? So on and so forth. So you got to start to do that and again, you know. How do you deal with different personalities? <laughs> you know? So with that, that's one thing is you've got to figure out the individual, understand what's going to push them to be the best. Because that obviously we want to hold everyone accountable. But you know, my favorite story of punishment I've ever had was I was at Lincoln and I had a, honestly, I had some great kids there. Like I had a lot of inner city and but these kids are like the type of kids, they weren't just loyal, like they were loyal to a fault to me like those guys were amazing guys and honestly that's one of those things when I sit there you talk about different cultures you know loyalty is insane in some in some of those inner city cultures and you know 
it, it's just it's crazy to see. I, I think I could have handed those guys a briefcase with a million dollars, and and they would have, I would have un like they would have handed it back to you and made sure nothing ever happened. So getting that was something that was just absolutely crazy to get to see that that was huge to them that you were going to take care of them. the second they saw you taking care of them, like you you were in and it that was crazy that was one of those things that when i'm you know how i evolved uh, just understanding guys better understanding like those i don't know it's just crazy to think of the loyalty but my favorite story there was one of my seniors was late to something and this kid never missed, never had a problem, never anything in two years that I was there. And he comes in, he's like, coach, I'm so sorry. And he's like, all freaked out. I'm like, dude, you're fine. Like, don't worry about it, man. And he's like, no, coach, what's my punishment? I'm like, dude, I know you. It really isn't your fault. It's not a big deal. Like, don't worry about it. He's like, no, 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 no. Coach, like, what do I need to do? I'm like, I'm serious. Like, you don't have a punishment, man. I'm not punishing you. Like, I've never had one issue. And he's like, no, 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 coach, like, what's my punishment? You don't have one. Like, I'm dead serious. So he's sitting there for 10 minutes begging me to punish him. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not giving you punishment. And almost in tears to get a punishment. I'm like, I'm punishing you, man. And finally, another senior comes over. He's like, man, you got 50 up downs. Let's get going. And I think the fact that I wasn't going to punish him hurt worse than the fact that I was going to punish him. Like, it's just different mind, like different people need different things. Like that kid didn't need to be punished. He, it hurt more that he missed than any punishment I could have given him. If anything, that punishment was probably reprieve him from how he felt. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things is how I deal with people. You know, like, don't get me wrong. Like we set a standard and we do not deviate from that standard. Like there's no deviation. If there is, then we need to address it. That's one of the biggest things I think, you know, when you're young, you, you get, you're too close in age. When you first get out of college, you're like, you're damn near the same age as them, you know? So you're sitting there and when you're, when you're two years older, even sometimes they're a year older than you, it's really hard to not see them as buddy, buddy. And I always thought getting older would make it harder to coach. As long as you stay with the times, I think it's tremendously easier because they stop looking at you like a buddy and they start looking at you like a father. And I can tell you it is so much easier to coach now than it was 15 years ago to me. And people are like, oh, kids have changed. Like, yeah, they have. They're easier to coach now because I'm more separated. They view me as a different type of person. You know, I'm now old and wise, you know, <laughs> and I think that's something that's changed a lot. But when it comes to like the nuts and bolts, you know, the X's and O's, oh, there's been huge amounts of change for me. I think understanding peaking, I think understanding the different phases I took my athletes through. Um, you know, I'm a huge, huge believer in obviously riding force velocity curve. Um, technology I use, methods I use, it's all it's all changing. You know, once upon a time, I thought the strongest athlete was the best athlete. Now, don't get me wrong, I love strong athletes, and I still to this day, my, you know, my boss will sit there and talk to me, excuse me, my boss. Coach Fenwick's not my boss, I should say. But Coach Fenwick will talk to me all day long about how strong our guys are, right? And strong and strong, how strong they are. Well, that's all great and wonderful. If they put their hand in the dirt, like, yeah, we want really strong guys there because they're going to be pushing, driving. You know, at the end of the day, will the best squatter always win on the alignment? No, they won't. But it certainly can give them an edge. If you take two exact guys, same skill set, the stronger one's probably going to win, to be honest. Um, 
but then you got to power, you got to take power into account. So how are we going to develop power and speed? You know, you can look at it however you want. I don't care how you look at the whatever. You can go down the whole like, ooh, the speed strength, the strike speed, accelerative strength, Mac, you know, or absolute strength, uh, the whole basic velocity curve or how we're going to look at it or whatever you do for PBT. But at the end of the day, like, I don't care how you train those qualities, but you need to be training all those qualities. And you've got to make sure, you know, like going through, I think you've got to think, all right, we've got sprinting all the way up here. And now we're going to take down all those notches. It could be, you know, whatever sprinting, jumping to the Olympic lifts to all the way down to your max effort lifts, which of course you got to get at some point. But now I've come up with a little bit more of an idea that, you know, once you're really freaking strong, you might want to focus on some other things. I think there's a point where, why do you need to get stronger? Why do I need to put 700 pounds onto the guy's back? Is it really going to make him better at that point? Because number one, there's probably a good chance there's no one going to push that weight. You're already stronger than everyone else around you. You know, we had a guy at Southeastern uh, squat 685 pounds, like, below below parallel like well below parallel and i sat there and i'm like i probably don't need to get any stronger but everybody thinks this is really cool so you kind of dance that like man i like i want to see this guy squat 700 pounds but then again like why like why should i put that on his back when i can sit there and, and devote my time to something else you know so i came into this tiered system that i use and is it perfect no but basically I run a, a four-tiered approach, so I run a freshman group, what we call a gray group, a black group, and a gold group here. You know, Southeastern was basically the same thing, but instead of black, it was blue. And this is something we haven't implemented yet, but we will here, hopefully by the end of summer, depending on where our strength levels get to. We're not very strong right now, just to be honest with you, but that's something I knew coming in. Like, I, I had numbers and everything. Well, we need to get a heck of a lot stronger. But what we do now is we set our tiers. So our first tier is a, is a freshman tier. That's where you're going to learn how to do everything. I might make them clean 135 for six weeks until they do it perfectly. You know, because I'm, I'm a big, big Olympic lifting guy. Like, doesn't mean we do a ton of them in the program, actually. I, I stick to cleans for the most part, my level one and two. So that freshman tier, we go through a lot of teaching. And then after you get through all that, we kind of get a little bit of a base on you, start to get numbers towards the end of that first semester then we all move into a gray which is basically that involves your week get strong does that mean we always focus only on strength no there's definitely speed we get speed through other means too so for example with that like we'll still do sprinting we'll still do a lot of the same things the same but when it comes to lifting like we gotta get our maxes up so we may put them on a 531 program something like that where we're just getting a lot of rep outs trying to build up that strength slowly and then once you get out of that, we go into basically my, like, again, it's, it's basically our, our blue or our black group here, you know, it worked out perfectly because the top tier is gold, both places I was at with Fenwick. So it works out well, but then we're going to start focusing a little bit more on power and a little bit more on speed. So typically I run in a four week cycle. I'll basically spend two weeks focusing on power output, uh, one week still focusing on strength, one week focusing on speed. Uh, the good thing about the speed weeks is they kind of act like built-in deload weeks, right? So, because they're going to be lighter and working on speed. So it's definitely, uh, it's a different way to tax the nervous system. You know, obviously the weight goes down, but the speed goes up. So it's still taxing the nervous system, but it's not going to hit them quite the same way as grinding out squad reps. 
So the cool thing about that is as we progress into our next one, uh, and sorry, to typically to get out of that, it's actually more of a power output I'm looking for. So we try to get increased power output. That would get us into our, our gold group. Gold group is more reliant on speed. So we basically cycle like a heavier week with a fast week, or you can think of it that way, however you want to. And then heavy week, fast week, power week, fast week, or speed, however you want to say that. And it just kind of lets us fine tune our guys to the point where, okay, we've maxed out all the other things. Because in my opinion, and I know some people like probably hate me for saying this, but I think to build a tremendously fast athlete, especially in football, without putting a speed base, excuse me, without putting a strength base, I think is, is yes, you're going to have a faster athlete. But to me, it's kind of like, building a race car and not putting a good brake system and, and good tires on it. So I like to build it that way. But the good thing is it doesn't take me very long to get an athlete strong. You know, it doesn't take a, doesn't take very long at all. Um, you can push them up to their max strength levels pretty quick or within close to their max strength levels. You know, it's hard to peak at a true athlete out because, well, let's be real. They're like, you can inch out five pounds, you know, or 10 pounds, but would you rather spend four weeks working on power output and speed mostly or pushing a 650 pound squatter to become a 665 pound squatter. Oh, I'd rather be more powerful and faster. That's going to definitely make him a better football player. But at the same time, we do know that making athletes stronger initially will make them accelerate faster, jump higher, do all the stuff we want them to do. But there is very limiting factors in that. So to drive that strength up, then push into more of a power and then a little bit more and then a lot more in the speed lets our guys really train to what they need to do to hopefully make them the best athletes. That's the system I use right now. Okay. Well, that, that was a lot of good. Now, now with, with that, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about it beforehand, like the, the actual lifting parts, the easy part for like most people, once you get the kids in the weight room, I like even, even the high school level, like once you get them in the weight room and doing it, once you've taught it, that's the easy part. I think the difficult part, especially as, and kind of you mentioned it there, strength and conditioning has evolved, especially like as fast as it has over the past 10 or so years. Like, I mean, there's a lot more focus on pilometrics and power power and speed metrics than it is just strength. How is, I mean, with that programming, like where do you start? Or, or let me rephrase it this way, because again, most of my audience is high school coaches. Where do you suggest high school coaches start for programming? Like, cause that's, I think that's where coaches be like, okay, Yes, I can grab the five, three, one stuff that you kind of mentioned there. Flip, flip that open and go. But like, where do you start? That's actually a really good question because this is one where like I may say this and someone's probably listening on the other end saying like, no, no. A uh, couple things. Number one, focusing on the balance of the athlete. I know this sounds bad, but like the CSCCA manual has like a really easy template to use. And here's the thing about templates. I think they're great for multi-directional sports, push, pull, that type of stuff, which football is, it's a, it's a multi-directional sport. So if you were to look at a standard push, pull program or like the CSCCA program that basically Chris Doyle put in there or Mike Boyle implemented, that's like a really good place to start. And why it's so good is because in the weight room, it optimizes basically your balance. And I'm gonna sit there and say, if an athlete is imbalanced, top to bottom, front to back, side to side, they're probably going to have issues. If they're tremendously strong on the front side, okay, and the, 
let's be real. Like how many kids come in? The answer is a ton, but come in and they've been bench pressing, man, they're a 405 bencher, but their posture looks like this. Mm -hmm. And coach wonders why they suck. Like they're not good. Like, well, because they can't even maintain a strong posture when they're trying to block. Like, but coach, he's so strong. Yeah, but that's great. Like he's strong, but he's got no stability. Just because you can bench 405 doesn't mean you're stable, which means you have a great nervous system. Like now you've got to stabilize guys up. So the thing about like the push-pull system, uh, like I call it, we call it the the boil template, as it was always told, uh, always called it Central College. So shout out to any Central guys there if anyone's listening. The boil template. It, it's just so balanced. You know, it's it's pretty simple. You basically incorporate an explosive movement every day across. You can choose whatever you want. In the original template, it was always an Olympic lift. And then you go down and you basically have day one and three match and day two and four match. And you're basically, if you go down the line, the traditional is basically an upper body push with a lower body hinge, like bench press and RDL in your next tier. So you have explosive bench RDL, and then you typically do a vertical press with another posterior chain movement. Usually what I would do is like a hip dominant to a knee dominant. So for example, it'd be like a leg curl variation where you're hinging the knees and a hip dominant would be like an RDL where you're hinging at the hips. So usually it'd be like bench press and RDL. Then you move down and you would do um, like a military press and some type of a leg curl variation, stability ball leg curl or glute ham curls or any of those variations. Obviously pick something really simple and then progress it up <laughs> and you can progress pretty easily. Uh, one thing with that is always find like variations to move it forward. Don't do the same freaking thing for 16 weeks. Like you could take a stability ball leg curl and start out and just do regular stability ball leg curls. Okay, then we're going to add in a, you know, let's say a whatever, a 2-2 two -two tempo where it's curl out, or excuse me, two seconds out, curl it up two second ISO, stuff like that, where you can change variations. Okay, then you're gonna add a two, two, two tempo where you're gonna go, or excuse me, a two, two, oh, two tempo. So you're gonna need to curl up, ISO one, two, curl out one, two, ISO one, two, and then you may go into like some faster work where you're gonna do a faster or something like that. Have variations where you go across. Um, sorry, I didn't cover day two and day four. So day two and day four, you basically have your lower body push, squat, hex bar, um, some people put in single leg variations there. Uh, depends on what you're really going for. A lot of times these days, it seems like day, basically day two and day four, it seems like you're doing a lot of, hey, I lied to you. I'm, I'm backwards, actually. You should flip those days around. You should actually probably squat and then bench, but whatever works. Uh, explosive movement, and then you're looking like a squat variation or, or a single leg, like heavy single leg typically like a vertical pull, pull up, lat pull down, something like that. And then a lot of times you switch back over. A lot of times on that, you would do a little bit more of a like volume variation, either single leg or goblet squats or something like that, where you're still lower body push. Um, and you pair that up often with like a horizontal pull, some sort of rowing variation. And then you throw your core down at the bottom. And that's a really simple template. Do I use that all the time? No, I do not. I like to write my own stuff. I'm a big backwards design guy and I like to tweak and do all that. But this is all I do. All I do is write programs. So I can 
pick, you know, I can nitpick a little bit more in there. But if I had to say the biggest thing when you're writing a program is, you know, are you throwing in hamstring work to balance out your squats? You know, are you throwing in core work to make sure that, man, this guy's freaking strong as an ox up upper body, strong as an ox lower body, but he has no core to translate force. That's crazy to me. Um, and I'm a big guy, like I'm a big believer in torso. Don't complicate it. Don't make it crazy complicated. If you think about the demands of sport, almost everything is rotational and stability. So there's other things in there. I know that some people hate me for saying that too, but you think about it, like if an O lineman is blocking a guy in front of him and he's locked on, like his core better be pretty dang stable. Like it's locked down. It's not right not to move. And then we look at the exact opposite. Well, he's blocking for the quarterback who's rotating and throwing the ball. Uh, that's pretty much what sport is, rotation and stability. So you can even look at sprinting, and sprinting is a great example of as we move, there's rotation happening, and there's a lot of stability happening. Wherever you're stabilizing the pelvis, trying to keep it from moving, keep it locked down, but at the same time as the upper body's moving, there's got to be some sort of movement in the torso as well. A lot of stability and a little bit of rotation going on there. And then you look at any athlete cutting, they cut, they have to rotate their torso. It's got to feed you know, into the whole system of what you want to do. So to me, while there are other variations I use, but it's almost all stability. So I'm doing pull-off press, pull-off holds, planks, side planks, boat poses. You know, I call them Roman chair holds where you put your feet in a blue ham and you lean back and you shake like crazy. And then rotation work, med ball throws, med ball slams, plate rotations, torso rotations, you know, anything where we're moving. And I like to do them at all different you know, speeds too, like do fast things, do slow things, be good in both directions. You know, at some point, an old lineman's going to grab someone and their torso is going to get rotated and they're going to have to be strong in that position. But at the same time, maybe they got to rotate and hit quick. Like they've got to move their hands fast and rotate fast. So I think, again, we sit there and we look at that force velocity curve. Well, we can use that almost everywhere. We can use that, you know, bench press we can use that med ball throws we can do any type of rotational work like we all can do fast all the way to slow and work on that speed the strength of that uh, the only thing i really my opinion is to discourage it with is like the posterior side of the, the upper back like it's very postural so doing a lot of speed on that's probably not going to get you the you know best bang for your buck you have to get a little bit more volume a little bit more tempo on that so uh, and then honestly probably calves as well like the slow twitch muscles you know if you run through fast stuff, you're probably not going to get what you want as far as the actual adaptations that you want. So I know that was a very, very long, maybe I elaborate too much on stuff, but I think the biggest thing to look into in the weight room is to find a balanced program. You know, you've got to make sure everything's taken care of because I'm sorry, but kids will pull hamstrings if they're not doing the appropriate amount of hamstring work. And you, you got to get good quality hamstring work in, not and I'm sorry, RDLs are great, but they're not the end-all be-all. Once upon a time, I swore, man, RDLs were the best thing ever. They're great, but they're only a small piece of the puzzle. The second part of that is, man, you got to have your guys sprinting. Like, you have got to get those guys out sprinting. You know, it's one of the most neurologically taxing things you could do. And if you're not sprinting, you're missing out on probably the biggest thing you could do. And I used to think that just a small amount was enough. And now I'm, I probably devote at least two to three hours on a week into not all high speed running, but running, change of direction. But I would say at least an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, maybe an hour and 30 into 
sprint mechanics, um, acceleration mechanics, high speed mechanics, that type of stuff where you've got to be good at everything. You know, some of our big guys, we may not spend quite as much like high speed work on, but they still got to be good at it. You know, you take a guy like at the end, he may be, have to run 30 yards across field. He may get close to top speed and you're asking for a hamstring pull if he sprints across there and he's been stuck doing 10 yard, you know, accelerations without doing some longer distance type stuff. I'm not saying we need to be running 110s and I'm not against running 110s, but he probably needs to be opening up for, you know, build up for 30 and then maintain, you know, a 90% speed or 95% speed for 30, 40 yards, at least at some point in the spring. So when we get into spring ball, they're not blowing out hammies left and right. And, you know, I've seen that a hundred times where, man, I don't know what's going on. Well, I don't know what, we did all the hamstring work, but you, you did. Well, how much high speed work did you do? No, we did so much of this. Dude, these are 20 yards. That's an Excel. That's, that's not a high speed work. Like, let's do some high speed work. And that's one of the things I think, as much as uh, some people hate saying this, but like your track speed is, is important. Like, you got to have good track speed. You don't have to spend all day on it. And really, if anything, probably spend 15, 20 minutes on the actual, like, high speed stuff a week but there's so much training that goes into it and just that little bit of endurance you know i think you're gonna stop a lot of hamstrings from blowing out if you can do that you know we made it my last season with coach fenwick we we didn't have a single missed game for a hamstring you know that's pretty damn good i think anyone would take that so again i don't have it all figured out i sit there and i talk about how i would balance out a program but a big portion of that is our, you got to get the running in there. You know, I think if you told me I had to have guys in great shape, like top condition ever, like they would never get tired in a game, or I could have them working on high speed, acceleration, high speed, and that stuff. I, give me the guys that are, I've worked on acceleration because these guys might be in shape, but they're going to be slow. They're going to pull hammies. It doesn't matter how good a shape you're in if you're injured. So, and again, I do like my athletes to be in shape. Don't get me wrong. But, this over here, it's totally opposite side. It's the high speed stuff. These guys are probably not going to get injured. These guys, if all they've worked on is conditioning, man, they open up and that hamstring doesn't know how to absorb that force. Bye bye, hamstring. So, okay. now, now speaking of that, so you said hamstring work, like, and you said not just RDL. So, what, what do you recommend? Obviously, glute hams and that atmosphere but like what do you recommend for high school coaches who might have limited resources to develop and work on hamstring work to prevent hamstring pulls yeah and again like i'm not a hater on rdls i love rdls but i think we got to realize it is a piece of the puzzle uh, i'm going to steal a little bit of again book recommendations throw it right in the middle okay uh, strength deficit by tim karen uh i made i bet this is the best strength edition book I've read in 10 years. So this right here is amazing science, dumbed down for dumb strength coaches like me, amazing read and very practical. I think he, he sums up a lot of some of the hamstring issues. So one thing I think you've got to do, and this is stealing straight from him, is we've got to get a, a long range of motion in the hamstrings at some point. Uh, single leg RDL is one of the most perfect ways you can do that possible. And there's other ways, obviously. Like one thing that's become very popular recently is like sprinter bridges. And a sprinter bridge is basically, it's 
your hamstrings are about that angle. You know, you're trying to get your hamstrings at like a five to 10 degree angle, excuse me. And then you're contracting the hamstring isometrically holding for X amount of time uh, in a very, very elongated position, right? Your hamstring can't get much longer than that. It's things like that that I think are going to start taking over because we're starting to see some, you know, some relief on these hamstrings. But other things is like stability ball leg curl. I know it sounds kind of funny, but I'm working on trying to completely redo this room. And I want to, you know, I want to, I'm asking for a, a big budget to redo this room. Um, we have barely any way to train hamstrings in this room, which is just comical to me. And we have had some hamstrings. We had quite a few hamstrings before I got here. And I'm over here looking. I'm like, how did you train hamstrings in here? And they're like, oh, we did it this way. I was like, okay, but you've got to understand how the structure of the hamstring works. Like, you've got your biceps femoris that actually attaches to your femur, okay? And then you've got your semimembranosus and your semitendinosus. They don't attach to the femur. So if you go in certain positions and you turn your toe out or you're just doing a seated leg curl, that biceps morris can take over. And someone might disagree with me on that, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm very confident of that. If, if you're in an elongated position, that hamstring that is not stretched out as much can take that a lot easier. So it's going to overtake it. The other thing is we turn that toe out when we do things. We want to watch that. We don't sprint with our toes out. So we need to make sure that we're doing our hamstring work with our toes straight. And I tell you one thing is, you just let a kid do an RDL the way they want, and they're going to go out and do this stance. Well, why would I want to train my hamstrings? They're training them under the hips, toes straight. That way, we're training the muscles as similar to a sprinting, like our sprinting mechanics as possible. Because I sat there and I just advocated sprinting as arguably one of the most important things we can do. But that's also the main way we pull a hamstring is sprinting. So, you know, there's a seminar a couple of years ago. Uh, and I actually heard the same guy twice at the CSECA conference. And he said the biggest indicator of a hamstring pull was lacking sprinting, actually. So the number one way you can prevent a hamstring pull is actually to continuously sprint. So if you're continuously good at it, you're not going to pull as likely. And I think that's kind of, that was a big aha moment for me when I heard that of like, man, we probably need to dose this year round if possible, including in season, like. And that's where you get all that GPS data where we sit there and, okay, this kid didn't run fast enough. He needs to come in with me. We got to get a high speed day in with him at least. Doesn't have to be a lot, but he's got to get up to, you know, 21 miles per hour or anything like that. But to kind of kick back to the hamstring work, number one, you've got to, you've got to do both hip and knee dominant exercises. You've got to do curling variations of some sort. And that can be done a lot of ways. You know, you can do banded curls, you can do machine curls. I would advocate for mostly straight leg. Like, don't do the seated curls. I don't think you're going to get the exact um, training that you want. Like I said, in my opinion, you're kind of dominating the biceps femoris on that, not the semitendinosus and semimembranosus. You know, biceps femoris is a heck of a lot bigger than the semitendinosus and semimembranosus. So, for those that don't know, the hamstring is made up of three muscles. So, <laughs> those three. So, but as you go through that, you've got to look at that, right? And understand that if I turn that toe out, we start to really negate those smaller muscles. So keeping the toes straight, in my opinion, is a good one. Uh, possibly even do a little work with the toes facing in just to hammer those outside little muscles a little bit more. And then we start to get more tempos. Like, 
Okay. We can train the hamstrings to produce more force, do all that stuff. We can train them fast, just the same way we can Olympic lifts and squats and everything else. Just because we are beginning to isolate the hamstrings doesn't mean we can't move them fast. And it's kind of funny when you start doing stuff really, really fast, guys start cramping coach like this coach, I'm, I'm cramping. Like, well, why are you cramping? Like, you have to ask yourself that, you know, well, like, I don't know. I probably need to get some Gatorade or something. No, you're not cramping because you're not cramping because you have a chemical issue. You have, quite frankly, you have a mechanical issue. Your body doesn't know how to do that that long at that force. So your body just basically says, uh, I don't know. That's what cramps because it doesn't want you to do what you're doing. It doesn't, it's not comfortable with it. So playing around with the speeds, tempos, slow out on the hamstrings, ISOs out on the hamstrings, fast work with the hamstrings. I think you do have to play around with that. And then understand that that needs to be put in at the right time. You know, like you don't need to be doing speed work week one. You probably want to speed work closer when you're going to be moving fast. Like let's work on training the hamstrings to absorb force, develop force at different times. And I'm not saying that you don't want to create force early on, but I want to set a good base personally. I want to work on that eccentric and that ISO work first so I can sit there and make sure that those hamstrings are, you know, really nice and strong. And the way, and I really hope, it, I really hope I'm saying this the right way and I'm pretty confident that is when we train those hamstrings at long positions, we get the hypertrophy that basically helps increase the length of the sarcomeres within the muscle fiber. Um, that's the way it was told to me and I hope I'm saying that right. So when we increase the length of the sarcomeres within the fibers, it actually allows us to create more force at those long, basically the, the length, the long lengthened areas like if I reach out on a sprint where I'm probably not supposed to, instead of it popping, it can handle that force. Now, I don't want to reach it out or do anything like that, but, or just when we're sprinting and the hamstring normally can't handle that much force, but we've trained it to create to handle a little bit more force because we've increased basically the length of those, sar uh, those sarcomeres so that muscle's stronger in a lengthened position. And I think that kind of goes back into some FRC principles as well, but that's another rabbit hole I don't think we want to go down. So that's a lot on hamstrings, but I'm telling you right now, like if you can nip hamstrings in the bud, like you're worth a lot of money in this field. It's just that one thing. And do I have it all figured out? No, I'm stealing information from way smarter people than me. So. Okay. Now, Bert, I had two questions for you left. One was the book question, but first like for coaches and, and like, cause this is interesting time across country. Um, obviously when this comes out, it would be later than right now, but um Obviously, you're the time of year right now, high school and college, where coaches are taking jobs across a plethora of sports, especially in high school. What do you, And you kind of mentioned it a little bit right there. What do you recommend, say, like a high school football coach, his first week that he focuses on the weight room? Obviously, setting the tone is part of that. But in terms of the actual programming and actual, like, okay, is it just teaching all the lifts that you want in your program? Is it testing? What is it that um, – you think a high school coach should their first week focus on? Yeah, so this part sounds kind of silly, but I truly do believe this. Rearrange the weight room, number one. Make it how you want it to be. And then the kids are going to come in and it's going to feel different. So that was the first thing I did here. We moved stuff around. Uh, we had a couple racks in another building and I wanted more racks in here. So I actually pulled those over here. We moved everything except for our main racks at the platforms in like in floor. Uh, and then we moved all the weights around them, changed things. So it looked different. 
And immediately they walked in and they noticed the room was different. That was a big one. I think that's important. But for me, I typically run, now I'm in a different situation right now because I get added in March, not January. If I was in January, I can slow cook a little bit more. Right now, unfortunately, uh, I've got the crock pot turned on high right now, not low. You know, I like the whole term of slow cooking because it, as it's, you know, you want to slow cook meat, it's nice and tender. I don't get that luxury right now. I'm, I'm making up for lost ground, right? Now. We're not strong enough. We've got to get after a little bit. So my first week is absolute basic. We are going to teach exactly how I want things done. We're going to see how our guys move. That's lets me figure out what I want to do. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised with how my athletes moved here. That's the one thing I will say. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised with the frames I have. Now we got to clean those frames up a lot. You know, I want to see much, much leaner guys, all that type of stuff. But I now know what I want to do and I know what, how I can move forward after one week. And that's not a lot. But so my first four weeks, generally, when I take over in January, even if we come back, even if I'm brand new, no matter what, I basically do the same thing. Uh, week one and two, we're going to get the feet back under them. So very, very light aerobic work. You know, we might do like a 15-minute jog around the field at the end, just trying to get a little conditioning in them. And I don't care what anyone says. You've got to get some aerobic work in these guys before you start doing anything else. It doesn't have to be a lot. We, I like football X's. I like, um, you know, like striders down, you know, stride one side of the field, walk, stride, walk. you got to get some sort of a base around these guys. We live in a world where guys do not always do stuff over break. And if you're going to come in guns blazing, you're going to put kids in the hospital. And that's the first thing I would warrant. Do not blast them week one. I wouldn't even blast them till week four. So the way I go is basically week one and two are what I call my GPP phases. And I really, really think that the term GPP is completely misused and abused. GPP is general physical preparedness. That does not mean destroy your athletes. It means let's get the quality of movement back. Let's go through the basic stuff. Let's make sure that these guys can still do what they used to be able to do. So first week, man, a lot of times it's 135 on the bar, going through clean progressions again. You know, maybe 225 on squats, 225 on bench, so stuff that's not going to tax these guys. You know, if I have good maxes on them, we may sit there and we might go to 50, 60%. We may go 40 or 50% for 10 sometimes. Like just nothing that's going to kill them because they're going to be sore. They're going to be sore that first couple of weeks. Second week is kind of a similar thing. We're going to keep hammering with the basics, but we're going to push up a little bit more weight. So basically, I have a really light week, kind of a moderate light week. Week three, by that point, we've kind of got a grasp of where they're at. So at that point, I like to push the weight up a little bit more. At that point, we can start to, I like to implement a little bit more speed work with them. And now the one thing I will tell you is I'm not afraid to put some speed work in early on. Uh, Typically, that's where I'll start with more acceleration stuff. So I stay away from the top end speed right away. And I like to do two weeks, like I said, of more striders at like 75% or a little bit more aerobic work too because I don't want to pop a hammy week one. Then we're riding out a hamstring injury for three weeks. So, and then I test my guys on week four. And I don't test a one rep. I usually test, usually a five to eight rep is what I tell the guys. It's like, give me five to eight reps. And then we build off of those numbers. So then we start to build off. And all right, we might have a, a five rep max here, you know, which should be about 85%. And then we're going to drop that down. Or we may rep out at 85% again in a couple of weeks. 
and see where they're at now. All right, let's bump up to 90. Let's do some rep outs at 90. Let's see where they're at. And then we're going to drop down. Maybe we might do 95. Maybe then we go to one rep. That really depends where, you know, spring ball ends up at football. So I kind of just, it's, it's pretty linear. And we just taper down and we kind of make it a little bit heavier, a little bit heavier. But we don't load them up right away real heavy. I try to get that volume on the front end and just kind of slowly taper down. Now, you get some of your more experienced guys, that goes completely out the window. I'm not going to lie to you. If a guy comes in and he's already up to 600-pound squat, if he just goes and he hammers 525 for six reps, well, guess what, buddy? You're in the gold program. Let's have a little fun. You know, he's good. He's strong. Let's move. Let's start moving fast, right? Of course, you got to clear the power test. And uh, the one thing about my categories is you reset every year. So you may end gold here, but you might come back in gray. Like if you didn't do jack. So you got to earn your way back up there because you lost a lot. But most of the time, those guys do not deviate. Like if you have a guy that's kind of teetering gold and, you know, black, like he may go back to black for a couple of weeks and he's jumping back up. Uh, but going back to it, like, I, I like to do the build up. I'm a, I'm a slow cook guy and set the expectations exactly what these kids you want them to do. I always set my basic rules, my expectations, you know, and I make sure I reiterate it to them all the time. The team meetings right away. These are the things you have to do. I have three simple rules. You got to show up on time. You got to listen. I need eye contact. Okay. I expect you to coach these other players. So you need to learn from me. Like if you see a guy doing something wrong, I will be more pissed off if you don't correct him than a lot of other things like we are here to take care of each other we're teammates we're not buddies okay we're teammates and that means something so and then you got to give me 100 effort like no matter what you have that day like i need 100 effort there and i have a lot of other little you know expectations so those are my three rules like those are my three simple rules and if we adhere to those generally i'm going to be pretty dang good about everything you're not going to get me real pissed off except for those three rules because you got to be there on time you don't make the bus man you get left behind you know, when it comes to listening, like that's just a man thing. I know I hate that term. People would be pissed that I say, well, it's a man thing. But no, like you got to look another guy in the eyes and, and be honest with him and talk to him. If you can't do that, then we're going to have issues. Because if you can't look me in the eyes and you can't listen to me, how are you going to play football with a bunch of guys when you're trying to communicate and there's, you know, 6,500, 7,500 people screaming to the point you can't hear anything, you know, or when I was at UNT, 40,000 people. Well, it's probably not going to be good. And then effort, like, that's one of the few things you actually get to control, right? Attitude and effort. That's like the gimme. So you've got to put the effort in. So, and then I have other, you know, I have other rules, you know, as far as words that are not allowed to be said, things like that. Like, we don't, I don't tolerate anything that could cause any dissension in the weight room. Like, that's one big thing for me is I think a lot of places are allowing cultures that hurt the team because, it puts categories out there. Like, I don't like categories. Like, I don't want, I know I, I divide my team up, but like, at the end of the day, we're a team. And I think that's one of those things that, I know that sounds like I'm a hypocrite when I say that, but like, I don't like things that divide the team in the locker room. I don't like things that divide the team out on the field. Like, yeah, I divide the team in here, but this, that's based on performance. Like, we're always going to have ones and twos out on the field. Like, that's a, you have to have that. But I don't like things that cause you know, clicks and things like that. I want us all to be one big unit. You know, one of my favorite quotes, you know, I have it on my wall, but a group becomes a team when shared goals have been established and effective methods to accomplish these goals are in place. You know, like, in other words, 
there's not very many teams out there, really. There's a lot of groups. There's a lot of football groups out there, but how many football teams are out there? Well, until they have established goals, shared goals, and methods to reach those goals, according to, you know, one of my favorite books, you're not a team yet. So you're a group. And I guess that's one of the things is you got to establish the rules that are going to make sure that we have a team, not a group, not a bunch of clicks here and there. Um, I know I went all over the place there, but that's kind of the things I like to make sure are in place to make sure that we're not butchering the culture because, you know, people don't understand culture either. You know, very simply put, it's, it's what we do. Like culture is the habits we have that, you know, things that naturally happen. People go through and, you know, oh, this is our culture. That's not your culture because you don't habitually do it. You know, culture is something that happens over and over and over because that's the expectations. So. Those are the things that I talk about, you know, coming into a new program, kind of really set the tone of who we are, making those changes that we want, but making the expectation uh, expectations very known of what we want. Okay. Now, now, and like I said, you've already mentioned two of them already, but I mean, I like getting book recommendations for strength coaches because not only do you get stuff like conscious uh, coaching, which you mentioned there. Uh, but you also usually get some really good stuff that people may not necessarily know about that's just really good on strength development. Like I said, unfortunately, a lot of high schools do not have, especially when you're looking, say, the Midwest where I'm at, have full-time strength coaches for all their sports. It's a little more common when you get to the South because of investment in athletics and year-round ability to do stuff because of weather. Um, what rec What recommendations – do you have, like I said, you gave us strength deficit, conscious coaching. Is there anything else there that you want to recommend for a high oh, coach to read? So I probably have a hundred books I'd recommend. Um, let's see. I've, I've got a pile of books here randomly. I only have like maybe 15 or 20% of my books here because I'm currently living in Missouri in a dorm room. My wife's rocking the house back in Denton. Uh, obviously, conscious coaching I think is great from understanding people, basically understanding how to coach different personalities. Um, Strength Deficit is a great football book, by the way. It talks about the difference between like what you want from your bigs all the way to your perimeter guys. And you want to talk about a book full of some amazing concepts that are dumbed down for even dumb strength coaches like me. Amazing. Um, probably one of the best reads I've read in a while, a little bit more of a motivational book. Uh, Twin Thieves, unbelievable read. Uh, another one that I, I think it seems a little bit less, uh, maybe a little bit corny, but it's Creating Effective Teams by Wheeland. It's a short read. I don't think it's very expensive. I think it's 20 bucks. And it's more actually talking about like corporate teams, but it is a phenomenal, phenomenal read because it sits there and that's that's where I got that quote you know a group becomes a team and shared goals have been established and effective methods to accomplish these goals are in place that's literally on my wall right there that's what I'm staring over there but that's one of the quotes from that book that I you know, I take my quotes and I print them on my wall so I can sit there and think and talk and tell it to my athletes but that book has some amazing concepts in it uh, and then I think you go into the classics you go and you look and don't get me wrong I'd love to say super training or uh, science and practice Good luck. Like, good luck reading the absolute 700 pages, you know, of Verkashansky. You know, like, good luck with that. Zatsiorsky, yeah, genius, but you just said, like, these are football coaches, right? And I'm not saying they're dumb, but 
do they really want to break into 700 pages of super complicated science where you're having to figure out how to put all these things together? I think you need a little bit more simple things. That's why I recommend something like Tim Carrot's book. Um, Triphasic, I mean, is a great read. It's phenomenal. I'm reading that one right now. In understanding like the absolute basic stuff and Cal Dietz and Ben Peterson did a great job. You know, I can't believe that book's been out for like 12 or 11, 12 years now. It's insane to me, but they do a great job of putting some other concepts in. Now, do we all buy into the exact triphasic concept? No, but I think there's some really good things to understand from that. And then uh, how you can apply it very simply or very complicated, however you want to get into it. You can learn something really, really simple or something really complicated. Um, man, I, I'm going to go down a list of a bunch of them that I really like just for basic stuff, but the, the system is a great book that talks about some old school methods that have come back. Um, you know, that's by uh, Johnny Parker, Al Miller, and who's the other one? Uh, what is it? Perinello, Perinello, how something like that. And uh, like it talks about like a lot of the old school things. I bet the Coaches right now would love it because it talks about a lot of the old systems. And it's kind of funny because it's the stuff that was really popular when I first got in the field and it comes out a few years ago and people are going crazy over it. I'm like reading it. I'm like, yep, we did that. Yep, we did that. Yep, we did a lot of that. And there were some new things I didn't I didn't think of in there, which is great. But I think that's one that young coaches should read and old coaches would love because a lot of the stuff they know already. You know, that was written by some very, very experienced strength coaches. You know, they're not they're not uh, young chickens, you know, they're they're roosters. They've been around the block. They're, well, they get it. They've been successful at some of the craziest levels imaginable. Um, supple leopard, becoming a supple leopard. That's just a big like mobility flexibility. It's one of those things when you're at high school, you don't have all the resources to go through and necessarily, you know, you may not have a bunch of athletic trainers and a bunch of physical therapists and all that stuff, but it gives you an idea. At least you can say, well, maybe we can try this. Uh, if nothing else, you're going to get more flexible and I'm, I'm a big fan of not having stiff athletes. I like flexible athletes. Uh, of course, if you got the Olympic weightlifting by Greg Everett, phenomenal book, just to actually learn the technique, that's huge. If you can't coach a clean or a snatch or a jerk, just don't do them. They're hard. They're hard to coach. They're very hard to coach. I would rather an athlete come in not knowing how to clean than clean like garbage. Absolutely. I could teach them to clean pretty quick. It's hard to change set and technique over six years of garbage cleaning, you know, and it's kind of funny because, you know, I got a video of uh, an athlete sent by a coach and it was a kid with really bad, really, really bad technique. And I didn't know what the coach was going for. I'm like, man, is this, he's trying to like brag about this kid or is show me how bad his form is. So I'm like, the comment was, man, that kid's really powerful. Imagine how much he could lift when his technique's right, you know, trying to build up the kid and then also say, hey, we can fix him. And then the coach is really more along going lines like, man, he, he needs to get his form better. And I'm like, thank God you noticed that because it was not good. The kid was still cleaning, you know, a ton of weight, but they could, he could have done a lot more and been way safer about it. Um, oh, man. Ultimate MMA conditioning, uh, Joel Jameson. That's a, so popular right now. They understand the actual energy systems that go into how to build them. And that's the one where I sit there. That That's a book that sits there and tells me like, you need to focus on aerobic still. Like you need to have some sort of aerobic training, especially early on with your athletes. And I didn't buy into this for a while. As a matter of fact, I probably preached the opposite. And I'm not saying you need to go make cross country runners, but at least at some point, I think once a week, I like my athletes to go 
jump on a bike and get their heart rate up to 120, 130 beats for 30 minutes. And just to actually train the aerobic system. Cause we know the aerobic system is the most powerful recovery agent we have. Like it's going to help everything recover a little bit faster. And if we're going to sit there and preach recovery, recovery, let's take this supplement. Let's take this, let's do this. Let's get in the boots. Let's get in the ice tub. Well, maybe we should start with the aerobic system because it's what actually helps with the recovery. So I'm looking up here and trying to see if I have any other like really, really locked in books. I mean, man, there's, I, I, I could probably give you five or six others, but, um, you know, Ripito's stuff. I'm, I'm like, I think his, some of his stuff is spot on. Uh, I'm, he probably would, he'll probably send me a message or something. I, I personally don't like the way he teaches technique, but his programming is amazing. <laughs> I think his, the way he teaches programming, I absolutely love that, but. Um, I don't, I'm not a low bar squat guy. I've got an Olympic lifting background. That's probably why, um, you know, I told the guys here the first day, I think I had three or four guys low bar. I'm like, you know, you know, knock that off. Cause we don't low bar here. Like put it up on your traps and some guys were like, Oh, go. Okay. Like one guy was a little resistant. I'm like, and I just won't raise your squat up. Just squat 135 pounds from your whole career. If you don't get with the bar up two inches higher, you know, and I've just seen too many stupid shoulder injuries and your chest caving like this. I don't want guys squatting like this. I want them upright so with that i mean those are the ones i'd go right off of, of strength conditioning but then i go down and uh, i'm a big leadership guy too you know i'm, I'm finishing my doctorate right now uh, so i'm in the thesis stage of my doctorate and oh uh, it's a doctor's strategic leadership so it's all leadership books so i sit there and i'm like well that's a great leadership book that's a great leadership book that's a great leadership book um but creating effective teams is a phenomenal one that's amazing um uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. Uh, I think it's Change Leadership by Cotter. Um, it's the absolute like process of actually creating change. It's amazing. Um, I really hope I didn't mess up the name of that, but it's Cotter. It's his older book. Um, man, I don't know if I had that. I have a huge stack of books over here. Leading Change. It's Leading Change by Cotter. That's what it is. Okay. And that book was a huge aha moment for me trying to get change created in a culture. And it's got steps, like things you do at each step. And I went through that and I was dumbfounded of how well it worked. So I started utilizing that when we got to Southeastern, our first year there, we went one in 10. We had a we were a ragtag group and we just couldn't finish games. We couldn't do anything. And I knew we need a lot of change. And just by chance, I started my doctorate then. And I read that book. It was one of the first books I read. And it's just very, very well written. It's very simple. The guy really works with Fortune 500 companies, makes millions of dollars turning around companies. But he has, gives really simple steps of like things you need to do in this order. And there's a, there's a bunch of different uh, change models, you know. But his, to me, clicked the best. And so I went through that and I'm like, man, I'm going to use this. I'm going to see how this works on a football team. And so we started putting things in and we started making these subtle changes. And then I started getting better buy-in and better buy-in and better buy-in. And the next thing you know, like, I remember, you know, I think we had the biggest turnaround in NCAA that year. Like from one win to nine wins. And honestly, the the losses we had were kind of bullet. They were, they were. We shot ourselves in the foot, self-inflicted wounds for sure. Uh, and we knocked off two top uh, five teams, I think, that year. 
And the funniest thing about that was I remember going through practice and I remember like, man, we're utilizing this book and I'm preaching it. They don't know I'm using this book. And then we started using it for other things. And the good thing about his is you constantly, you're doing this and all like, yeah, you're trying to change this and you're trying to change this and you're trying to change this. It doesn't mean they're all in the same stages. So you can, you know, change this and be in stage four and you can change this and be in stage one. And you might be all the way in seven over here. But as you go through it, we're using it. And I remember sitting there and I'll just be honest, like Southeastern does not have great resources compared to a lot of schools, especially at Division Two. And I remember like, man, we had one really good practice first day. That was great. And then I remember like two and three in a week and two weeks. And we haven't had a bad practice yet. And we go into our first game and we played all right. We didn't play great. Like we played like kind of didn't know each other. And then game two, I mean, we're lights out. And I'm like, okay, like some, there is something to this. And it just, it began, it, you know, it created culture, created a culture that I don't think I ever expected to be that drastic, that fast. And now I'm utilizing those same things here. And I haven't even begun to really, really put it in yet. I'm just teaching the basics. And I haven't had a chance to really diagnose our problems and sit down with the coaches yet. And they probably don't know all our problems yet. They've been here for a couple of months. But over the summer, we're going to push this really heavily and start to begin to you know, go through our steps. How do we change this? How do we change that? And then set up goals, set up all these little things so we can start building our team up. So again, I probably talked way too long in that one book, but that, <laughs> that book is probably my single biggest influence in leadership since I started this career. And I'm sorry, but you can sit there and I can talk about strength conditioning all day and I, I love it, but I'm obsessed with leadership. Like I fully understand now why there's these choice few coaches and it's heavily strength coaches that are going everywhere and succeeding everywhere they're going. It's like they're gifted with something. It's their leadership. Like they're creating leadership in those programs. I mean, you look at some of the best strength coaches and go, you know, look at cause down at TCU. How do you make that turnaround? Now I know they got their butt whoops in the natty, but like, how do you make that turnaround in one year? Like, that just doesn't even seem possible. That guy is a phenomenal leader, and he's unafraid to touch any subject. You know, that's something that I admire heavily, and it's something that I, I look up to as a guy. I've never even met the guy face to face, um, but watching him and moving through everything, amazing, amazing leader. Benny Wiley at USC, another guy that amazing. Like, these guys are coming out; they're unafraid to touch subjects. They're okay. You know, if they piss someone off by saying something like they're okay with that, but then they, they get this buy-in from their athletes so fast and they're making these changes so fast. And again, what you see, both of those programs were huge turnarounds in one year. Okay. I'm sure they would have liked to finish out and make everything perfect, but from where they went in one year, that doesn't happen without great leadership because they had a lot of the same athletes. You know, at the end of the day, I think leadership is it is the glue that binds the team together. It's great to be strong, big, fast, powerful, all that stuff. But what happens when you're not working the same goal? So that's my little, you know, my strength coach little kick is, man, that it's great to have all the tangibles. We want the fastest, strongest, biggest athletes imaginable. But unless you finish that by actually creating a team, then we're not going to go where we want to go. Okay. Well, coaches, A, I think coaches a new Twitter. Give him a follow. B, um, 
you can check out his Instagram as well. Um, like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. Check out our sponsor, Coach Pad. Um, otherwise, that is in our episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast.